everybody. Welcome to Hit Rewind, the podcast devoted to everything from the 80s on up in the entertainment pop culture world. I'm your host, Michael. This segment will be discussing the seasons of SNL, 1986 to 1990. My co-host is Tony on the other side. Hey, hey, And this is the, the time period where basically SNL is rebuilding itself. It was so close to being canceled. The, the new season is only 13 episodes, and we basically gut the cast. Lauren Michaels uh, decides to go for, you know, newer, fresher faces instead of established names like he tried, they tried during the previous two seasons. Yeah, um, definitely. I remember um, this was like, this was a pared down lineup of repertory players. So you have like, you have like your, you know, like your, your major ones, your Dana Carvey, Nora Dunn, Phil Hartman. Jen Hooks, Toria Jackson, John Lovitz, Dennis Miller, and then the featured players being A. Whitney Brown and Kevin Nealon. Yeah, and uh, the only ones kept from the previous season were John Lovitz, Dennis Miller, and Nora Dunn. So yeah, you're right. It is a very slimmed down cast. Yeah, it's a, it's a, most of the season 11's cast members were fired except for, like you said, A. Whitney Brown, Nora Dunn, John Lovitz, and Dennis Miller. Uh, Al Franken was rehired as a writer. And then, you know, some the new cast members, like I, like I said, David Carvey, uh, Phil Hartman, Victoria Jackson, even though Bill Hartman was uh, hired as a writer for a few sketches in season 11. It's uh, apparently the Thanksgiving uh, Pee Wee Herman episode. That makes sense that since they were such close for. friends, yeah. And then, of course, you know, Jan Hooks auditioned for the show several times, like, uh, like and then she finally got the part. It looks like she uh, auditioned uh, for season 10, but lost to Pamela Stevenson, which is an odd choice and then again in season 11 the loss of Joan Cusack which uh, I mean not such an odd choice but you know it's before she was ready I mean the the joke is it's not ready for primetime players but she definitely was not ready right uh, so um, I think what he had done this time was kind of scavenged through what worked so well with John Lovitz is that he went to LA to the groundlings and that's where he discovered him and then you know that's kind of the pattern that's been set forever now with SNL is that they go to the groundlings and uh, an upground uh, upright citizen brigade and stuff like that they go to established improv groups and find people who you know are just you know they, they've established themselves there but not on the national scene yeah, they definitely have better luck with, like, say, Groundlings, uh, yeah, UCB, um, SCT, Second City, uh, versus, like, it's pretty people from the traditional stand-up world. Sometimes, not that stand-up can't do a decent job, but, uh, you know, <laughs> Pete you Davidson. really need, really need <coughs> comedic actors with the better voices and impressions, and, you know, and, and ultimately improv is going to help if you go live and get yeah. lovely lines or something happens to the cue cards or something in it. Well, here's the craziest thing is while the cast was slimmed down, the writers were beefed up. Lauren is stepping back in as a writer. We have Andy Breckman, A. Whitney Brown. Of course, he became like a reoccurring on the uh, Weekend Update. I remember as a kid not getting A. Whitney Brown at all. He was so dry and intelligent. As a kid, I just didn't get it. Yeah, this is it's weird. There's there's some cast members, you, you know what I mean? I mean, as a kid, you're just you're drawn to like reoccurring characters. So anything that's like, you know... So like it's the, the straight man was lost on me back then. Like you don't you don't realize the brilliance of Kevin Nealon or Phil Hartman when you're a kid. You, you know what I mean? You only recognize like the reoccurring characters, something that Dana Carvey might do, you know, or you know, and that's ultimately what's you know what you want as a cast member. But there there's something to be said in 
the quintessential straight man, be it your Chris Parnells, your Tim Meadows, the guys who, who move a sketch along, who you, right. who you need to, 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 to set up the funny man or like, you know, who, who really, you know, who's, 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 who's used to, to, you know, advance the punchline. They're the connective yeah. tissue that holds yeah. it all together, but they're not the ones who get all the stuff. I mean, sure. Dana Carvey, well, John Lovett saved the previous season, and this is almost all on Dana Carvey's shoulders this season. Yeah. And I'm trying to think. I mean, uh, so. I mean, John, John, John Lovett's had a few uh, standalone moments. Like, he did a pretty decent Michael Bukakis, uh, basically because he, he looks similar to him. Yeah. But. Uh, there was yeah there was a there's a few where like you know they had like you could tell they had a bit uh, a bit of heavy lifting on John Lemon's part but yeah for for the for the most part it seemed like it was uh, Dana Carvey taking yes. a, a lot of the heavy lifting during this time. So this season we have the debuts of the Church Lady, the Sweeney Sisters, which as a kid I also didn't get, but as an adult I fucking get. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think, um, and this this is this where the debut of Buster Poindexter was because I know he had an album later and became kind of a thing. But David Johansson is the real person, and Buster was like this crazy lounge singer. Yeah, it's during this time is where he he kind of took off, uh, you know, uh, his guest appearances, um, with, you know, featuring with the house band, and then of course he went on to like do his own solo stuff. Of course he's like you know. Before that, he was just a lead singer with the New York Dolls in the seventies. Right, he created this alter ego persona that you know tried to reinvent himself, and you know it, it worked <laughs> for you know for a little while anyway. Um, we also have the debut of Ben Stiller, but this is like oh, years before he actually joined the show. Briefly, is when he was doing the short films, but it seems like the short films disappeared for a long time. They were doing the fake commercials. That was like their big you know uh, go away so they could set up the next scene. But remember, for a long time, those short films were part of SNL, and they finally came back with the digital shorts. Right. Yeah. It, it's um. It's it's like so Ben started doing the show mid season uh, as one of the feature players, and then apparently earlier in 1987, he um, he uh, he did a. Uh, I, I guess he did did a few, a few sketches when the Charlton Heston um, hosted the show back in 1987, which I don't recall. Yeah, I don't remember that. I only remember '93 yeah. when he hosted. Yeah, and then that's yeah. Eventually, he did. He, he came back on just 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 for for one for one season. He was yeah. a featured player in 1989, and that was. We have uh, Mark Shaman, Robert Smigel, Bonnie Turner, and Terry Turner, who were definitely big. Oh, and Jack Handy, big big driving forces on this show for the next few years. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, of course, like um, I, I, I'm trying to see if it was season 13 or not when. Uh, uh, or is it season fourteen with Terry McCall when Conan O'Brien and Bob Odenkirk uh, eventually became writers? But um, that's that's when some you know of course Robert Smigel you know you know with, with Robert Smigel Conan O'Brien and Bob Odenkirk became writers and really yeah. really started to shape the SNL that I, that I came to be aware of as you know as a kid growing up like in the late eighties early nineties. Right, I hadn't I hadn't started watching SNL until the fifteenth anniversary special, like in September of '89. I mean, I watched it before that, but it was way more passive. I didn't really become sort of become a regular watcher watcher of it until like the late '80s, early '90s. That's when I really started to become aware of it. <laughs> I'll tell you this: for the yeah. next the next year or so, I could not stay up. I had to tape them because I would fall asleep by the time Weekend Update hit. Oh yeah, I mean, you'd be lucky. Well, I mean, when I said watch regularly, I mean, maybe I'd catch three sketches. Uh huh. <laughs> I. I'd be lucky enough to make it to the musical act. 
And then, you know, very, very seldom they make up the weekend update. But, you know, as a kid, you always thought that was just kind of a dry spoof on the news. And you already weren't up on current events anyway. So who cares, you know? Yeah. The, uh, The wild difference between the previous season where hardly anything worked... It's a fucking miracle this season works so well. It's still not like the top of this group that we're going to discuss, but you can see like a yeah. massive change. Yeah, no, but you're right about the beefing up of the, of the writers. I mean, like, uh, I'm, just, I'm just looking over now. It's like A. Whitney Brown, Tom Davis, Greg Daniels, Jim Downey, Al Franken, Jack Candy, Phil Hartman, George Meyer, Lorne Michaels himself, Conan O'Brien, Bob Odenkirk, Herb Sargent, David Barowitz, Rosie Schuster, Robert Michael, Bonnie Turner, Terry Turner, and Christine Zanders. That was yeah. That's to put all that. their their money into the writers, which are really the backbone. Without them, the sketches don't exist. Right. Yeah. I mean, a lot of time they have it incumbent upon the performance itself to write their own sketches, which is good. But I mean, some of them some sometimes it's not exactly the forte, and sometimes it shows in the final product. Right. But yeah, with this with this legit writing staff, it's really. Uh, it really did uh, make some some memorable uh, sketches that I still recall to this day. And you, you know what I mean? You've, you know, some I've kind of forgotten about, especially the uh, some of the political stuff. But then once I've, once I've seen the upon review, it's like, oh my god, I love that sketch. That was hilarious. You know, it's really testament to like like how well some of these sketches hold up, and you know, largely based upon this uh, core crack of uh, yeah. writing writers you have. It uh, season thirteen the next year was the short one because of the writer strike which ravaged TV for like half a year, and uh, not too much different than why TV was this last year with uh, COVID. Um, yeah, well, I mean that that was uh, I mean that was a disastrous year because you know Studio Eight Studio Eight H uh, caught fire during the dress rehearsal, wow. which really pushed them back for a little bit. Um, I mean, like there's. They were going to cancel the show, but Steve Martin pushed the cast to carry on, making the Steve Martin Sting episode the only episode ever without a dress rehearsal. And then, of course, uh, on March 7th, 1988, the Writers Guild went on a strike and uh, canceling many of the planned episodes and ultimately cutting the season short. And they were going to have uh, Gilda Radner come back as a guest host, but unfortunately, she never got the chance. And, of course, yeah. like one year later, she would die of cancer, um, which is ultimately, you know, status things because she never got the chance to you know be a guest host of the show no again, kidding. And, you know. like a big goodbye that, that she never got to have um, right. so every season always has um, an actor which seems to stick out like a sore thumb in fucking hell Robert Mitchum and Sean Penn I watch these episodes <laughs> those don't work <laughs> at oh, all oh you mean as, as hosts yeah, yeah for sure there was a uh... Yeah, there, I mean, even some of the opening monologues, like I said, I you know, I just I had a limited um, availability of what I could actually watch because, you know, if you want to do some, unless I have, like, the Peacock app, it's really kind of hard for me to find full episodes. Yeah, that Peacock so, like, app, by they, the way, they, fucking blows. They've had a year now to fix this fucking thing. It's nightmare. And that's the only way I could ever, I could ever watch, like, seasons 11 yeah. through 16 because on Hulu, they go 1 through 5, and they, then they start up again at 30. Like, ah, crap, not the not the seasons I was looking for. So I just, I was at the mercy of whatever they had on, on YouTube. And I watched one, uh, judge Reinhold, um, opening a monologue and he just whistled a Western tune. I mean, it, it wasn't bad, but it's like, I wouldn't, I, I don't know. I'm not sure I'm calling it entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's weird. It, I, I it always kind of think went on long, you know, a show 
lives and dies by its opening. And if you just have like this weird, I hate the lazy. Let's ask. Uh, let's take questions from the audience. So fucking lazy. I mean, I get it. That's what he's good at, and he's good at doing that. Goes, hey, let me, hey, let me showcase some of my other talents. Yeah. At the end of the day, this is a this is a comedy show, so you know. Well, it's the same as whenever they have a sketch where they're like, "Hey, let's have this current thing going on. Let's have all of our cast show up as a musician and have one joke." That's just lazy. Yeah. It was interesting the first few times, but not anymore. Right? Yeah. It just it, it does come off as lazy, and it just yeah. really. Um, we have uh, the debut of Dana Carvey impersonating Dennis Miller on Weekend Update. <laughs> um, we also and have to, to, uh, to this day nobody nobody does it nobody does it better. No. Not that there has been a clamor of people doing it ever since. Right. Hans and Franz make their debut, which to this day surprises me. That movie never got launched because I feel like they were even more popular than Wayne's World, and yet for some reason they just couldn't get the script right. Yeah, it's weird what what decides to become like you know, Pat becomes a movie uh, superstar. You know what I mean? Yeah, but Ladies Man worked. Ladies Man was such a good movie. I think it's one of the best. You and I agree that's one of the better SNL movies. And yet, for some reason, it didn't make any money. And I'm shocked that it got made because there's so many other characters they were talking about that didn't happen. Remember when uh, that Dieter movie didn't get made? Oh right, 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 right. Forgot about that one. I think that's probably for the best. That yes, there's the best. no way on earth. But, the, but what we got out of it, though, was Cat in the Hat, and apparently that was god-awful. I've never seen it. I've seen it once. No need for, yeah. for a revisit. Just... <laughs> All right, so season 14, 1988 to 89. Is finally, we get a full season again. This is the goodbye to Gilda Radner, where Steve Martin shows his clip of the dance sequence that they did together, and it was so fucking sweet. And they still, I think they still show this every time they have an anniversary special. Yeah. No, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely heartfelt. He was, he, was, he was clearly one of his good friends. And it was yeah. Definitely a sad, sad time. Um, we add Mike Myers and Ben Stiller at the beginning of 89. I never think of them in this season, but it is. I always, for some reason, think of them in the next season. Yeah, he was he was one of the featured players as well as you know, Al Franken and uh, Al Franken and A. Whitney Brown. A. Whitney Brown always a bridesmaid. He's been a yeah. player forever. <laughs> well, Al Franken just outshined him. He was able to do the political humor, but not be dry. He would do that silly. Yeah. Do you remember when he would go on location with a giant satellite dish on his head, and something would go yeah. wrong every single <laughs> time, and that was just more successful. And, and I think that eventually is what pushed A. Whitney Brown out. Yeah, it it it, just, it 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 plays better as the awkward straight man kind of bumming around versus just the too cool for school straight man. Yeah, you know, I feel like you kind of already exist with Dennis Miller on Weekend Update. I don't think you need another, like a second version of that. You know, um, this is not a, a big debut sketch, but I just remember the one where it has Matthew Broderick and they're all standing on the beach with that little piece of wood that goes across their crotches and they're all just commenting on how their oh. penises look <laughs> oh, at, at, at the nudist piece yes <laughs> uh. see who else is in here um i don't see any new characters debuting this season okay there it is the first wayne's world i was wondering when that was going to show up and... yeah and, you know of course the first time, just like anybody, you didn't know what to make of it. You didn't realize this would be a re- recurring thing. I wasn't super familiar with public access TV at that point. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I didn't realize 
that this is like kind of like an accurate spoof of some of the uh, the content that was on there. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. really a thing where I lived. We didn't have public access in Fort Wayne. Yeah, we. I don't think we had it where I where I lived either. If I did, I didn't know how to tune into it. You know. Uh, we have the infamous Wayne Gretzky uh, sketch where Wayne and Garth are uh, trying to woo his wife, and the uh, Dreamweaver, I think, is the song that plays, and that shows up in the movie. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> Dreamweaver, somewhere through the night. <laughs> uh, not too many weird choices this season. It feels like everybody was spot on. Tom Hanks, course returns, who is almost now. Like the way Steve Martin was in the 70s. He's showing up once or twice a season and every single time nails it on the head. Yeah, um, and then also in the season 15, John Goodman became that. John Goodman and Christopher Walken and Alec Baldwin started to make their uh, their debuts. And then, of course, they would go on throughout the you know late, late 80s and early 90s up until today. Yeah. You remember that five-time episode that debuts in the next season when Tom Hanks gets added to the club? Yeah. Danny DeVito, I am certain by now, is in the Five Timers Club, but I guess he just wasn't available for that sketch because I know that he's been on for so many years. Yeah, perhaps he just wasn't, he was out of town or just unavailable. But there was other Five Timers. I mean, there was like Buck Henry, but who's going to drag him? Maybe Candace? I'm not sure. Candace Bergen might be a Five Timer. Yeah. I think they just kind of like grabbed some of the relevant ones at the time. There's other Five Timers that people. Really, especially at that point in time, I kind of forgotten about Buck Henry and some of the other ones, you know. The uh, the fifteenth season—that's the one where I saw the anniversary, and that's when I started watching. I feel like the very first episode I watched was Bruce Willis. Is that the very? Oh, it is the first one. Who said that he could have that blues album? Why did I buy this blues album? <laughs> Turn up, burn up. <laughs> take a respect yourself. I just remember his. Seagram's, uh, gold, Seagram's gold commercials, man. I thought, oh like, hey, this guy's going to make a career out of this just from his commercial jingles. <laughs> uh, no new writers are added. This is, and no new cast members are added. This is when they're completely locked into who they are now. I mean, sometimes I think that's good. You really want to let them establish the chemistry. Yeah. You know? and, and, yeah and, 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 um, and this was like, this was, you know... <laughs> With the exception of Victoria Jackson, I think this is a pretty, pretty solid cast. I mean, you could say, I mean, I guess Victoria Jackson has her fans, but she, she, to, her, to me, back then, she is what Keith Davidson is now. Yes, she's like just one of those per- people who just, who just basically being themselves, but on camera. There's never, she's never really doing a character. She's doing Victoria Jackson. No, and she was mostly yeah. known for her weekend update bits. Right. And then she would, you know, same with Pete Davidson. He would just do his spiel about, which isn't bad. I mean, he's a good stand-up comic. I don't hate him as a stand-up comic. But, um, yeah, they're just basically being themselves on a sketch comedy show, which is fine, I guess. But it wears out fast. And Pete's been around way longer than Victoria. I can't believe Victoria's been around this long. And for a while, in that day, part of that cast, she was wildly popular. And I never got it back then, and I don't get it now. I mean, she was in movies, and, you know, she was in some other stuff, you know. And she's getting, like, the popularity that I think should have gone to, like, Phil Hartman or Kevin Neal. Yeah, I think she's a, actually really a, work. She's an okay actress. I just watched uh, Casual Sex with her and Victoria – or with um, – uh, why can't I think of the name? Uh, uh, Back to the Future, Howard the Duck, uh, Leah Thompson. Oh, Le- Leah, Leah Thompson? Yeah, I watched it. It wasn't bad. I, I just remember, like, Andrew Dice Clay with him. <laughs> I remember. Yeah. 
And then she was in UHF the next year, so... But really, after she left SNL, I just didn't see her anymore. Yeah, I guess, I guess she did stand-up. I mean, I'm not really familiar with much of her stand-up career. I guess she did that for a little bit. And then I remember, like, when they when the Cartoon Network was, I guess, still the Hob Network, she was promoting the hell out of it. That was, like, she was the spokesman for that forever. Oh, weird. And, yeah. And then after that, I really don't. She kind of just faded into the ether. I don't know what, I don't know what she's been up to. Uh, we have the debut of Mr. Subliminal, which became a reoccurring uh, thing on um, the Weekend Update, which I loved. <laughs> Hanukkah you know Harry? <laughs> you know what I think that's from? Or like, or somewhat loosely related? What? There was that Joe Montana sketch where his inner, his, his inner, his inner dialogue was the same as his outer dialogue. And uh, what's it called? Um, so anyway, so... Uh, Phil Hartman and uh, Jan Hooks are about to have like a night night in, and then uh, Phil Hartman goes, "Oh, great, we make Gary." And his mind like, "Oh, great, this guy's fucking here." Get oh him. yeah, okay. But, yeah, and then Joe Montana's like, "Hey, it's great to meet you guys." And his inner mind like, "Hey, it's really great to meet these guys," you know. <laughs> um, I didn't realize this, but we did technically add two new writers. Rob Schneider and David Spade appear at the very end of the season. Uh, they're not technically cast members or reoccurring, but they are writers, and they just kind of show up in the background. That makes sense. Yeah, there, there's always you know you never realize that whenever you see like a group of uh, extras, sometimes it is the writers, even then, not just you know. Yeah. And. We have the infamous Andrew Dice Clay episode and promoting the uh, soon to be successful <coughs> uh, Adventures of Ford Fairlane, which caused Nora Dunn and, well, Sinead O'Connor just boycotted, but Nora Dunn uh, would not appear and her contract was canceled. Really? Yep. I, I did, did, did not realize that. Well, that's unfortunate. And John Lovitz I, I could... did want to continue. He, uh, he had a movie to shoot and. Um, he was told that if he didn't come back in time for the season, what sixteen debut, that he would not be uh, he would not be staying on the show, and which is weird because now it seems like Lauren gives a lot of leeway to his cast to go off and do other projects. Yeah, it's so weird. Like I, I feel, I feel like um, uh, what's the um, what's the the actress from Sherlock, or who does Sherlock Hulu? Um, Eighty Bryant. Eighty Bryant. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like she's allowed to like take as much time as she needs to. I know Fred Armisen was allowed to take as much time as he needs to do to Portlandia. Um, yeah, all these guys are these side projects. Hell, Pete Davidson can go do whatever he wants right. as long as he wants. I feel I, I, I feel like he's like yeah, I feel like he's the vice president of the company. I'm <laughs> pop pop in and do a sketch and he feels like it or if he's yeah. not feeling great that day so yeah sorry you took the rest of the day off well, the thing that stings the most is that Lovitz uh, went to go shoot uh, Mom and Dad Save the World from the writers of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and because HBO the production company at the time uh, didn't know what to do with it because they thought maybe they needed to dumb it down for children because I guess the script was kind of scatological and, and a little more uh, PG-13 almost R and so it sat on the shelf for a year. And then when it got released, it got dumped. So John Lovitz left Saturday Night Live, and it was almost pointless. Yeah, that's, uh, it's, it's definitely unfortunate. It's too bad he's not around today. Or current cast, he, def- he, he definitely would have uh, He definitely wouldn't have been fired so abruptly, right. I'm, I'm sure. Well, I remember that he shows up the next season in quite a few like cameos. 
and um, Lauren Michaels made a joke on air about are you? Uh, I think Dennis Miller was quitting. He goes, "Are you just going to keep hanging around the lot like Lovitz?" And John Lovitz <laughs> got so upset about it, and he never showed up again. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Sometimes uh, I think uh, uh, Lauren Michaels can be a cold, cold man. Yeah, for sure. I mean... <sighs> Well, that is the end of this run, and uh, the next episode we'll be discussing is In Living Color, uh, one of the competitors for the crown of sketch comedy, and frankly, they almost took it. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely giving a voice that was kind of, uh, you know, that was underrepresented in sketch yeah. comedy. I mean, well, because we're looking, a, a, oh. we're looking at an era where um, SNL is now turning into the frat pack. We're going to get the next group of guys... And it's almost exclusively like, hey, this is aimed at a 20-year-old white guy in college. Whereas in Living Color, was like, you guys are missing a huge array of voices. And we're here to fill that in. Right. Yeah, right. I mean, really, the only uh, I think the only people of color I could think of in that, uh, that uh, time period, like Chris Rock, Tim Meadows, and I guess Ellen Claghorn, if she was... I guess. I guess that, I, nah, you know what that, that, that might have been? Uh, no, no, she's coming up. But Clayhorn and Chris Rock were completely wasted, and Tim Meadows yeah. didn't blossom until like '95. He was wasted for half yeah. of his time at SNL. Yeah, he was just uh, he was he seemed like pretty much like a background character, and uh, he 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 really he really didn't find his own voice until a few seasons later. Yeah, like his only job was to just be OJ for a while. <laughs> Terrible. And you know he he was job at some of those some of those commercials. Yeah. But, oh, you know which which reminds me, I can't find this commercial anywhere, and I have no idea what season it was in. But Kevin Nealon was in this uh, commercial. It was like a parody of Head and Shoulders, but it was, it was called Ass Don't Stink. Oh, I don't and, remember that at all. And he's like, you, he's like, you've tried washing, you've tried scrubbing it. And they showed him this like this bat, this basin tub with a brush scrubbing his ass. You've tried everything, but nothing works. Now I'll try ass don't stink or whatever. <laughs> and then one person he's like, ass don't stink. He's like, well, you ass don't stink. And he, and he turns around and goes, I know. <laughs> like, okay, I'll look around like, for that. Know, That's parody, ridiculous. Direct, direct parody of head and shoulders, but it was so ridiculous. Yeah. It, was just, it made me laugh so hard. I've never seen it since. I have no idea where it is. I can't find it on YouTube. Yeah, and I feel like but, the next run, I feel like 1990 is when they really start embracing the commercials again like they did in the 70s, and that's when we get like Colin Blow and, and the Budweiser gay yeah. and, and stuff like that. They did have one other funny one with, with like the bank that makes change. And like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, right, with the Roseanne Bar one. Yeah. You get five fives. Like, yeah, yeah, of course, it's a bank. <laughs> you really got to promote that? <laughs> All right, so that is it for us here. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter under Hit Rewind Podcast. Uh, subscribe. Uh, let us know how the show is doing because no one ever seems to comment on this. We get like star ratings, but no one ever says anything, and I don't know what your favorite bits are. But, uh, Tony, thank you for another great episode, and sorry for the long gap between years, but uh, uh, the late 80s we kind of covered with Kids in the Hall and SNL, and that's all that really happened. We we're not. We're about to hit the skid explosion. Yeah, for sure. It was. It, this is kind of like a. This com, kind of like a common for the storm. So yeah. Kind of, there's a, a bit of a lull, but things really take off. I can't wait years, yeah. to talk about the Ben Stiller show, especially. Thank God, Bob Odenkirk survived. That was. Yeah. Scary. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that is it for tonight, or whenever you're listening to this, I guess. And have a good one. Take it easy.